This is the Freedom Media Network. And first, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Cultivate Elevate. A couple weeks ago, we featured Matt, the founder of Cultivate Elevate, on this podcast. And we talked about all the ways in which their organic, natural products can help you and how I, you know, those products have become a staple of my day. Each and every day, I take their six mix mushroom powder with my coffee. I take their ginkgo biloba in the afternoon. I take their shilajit in the morning, shilajit, whatever you want to call it. It helps my mood. It helps my gut health. It helps my joints, especially when I go hiking here at altitude. It also helps protect me from EMF radiation. And if you think that's tinfoil hat time, go back and listen to that episode. And guess what? In the show notes or wherever you're watching this, there's a link. You can click that link. You go to shop at Cultivate Elevate. Guess what? You get 10% off their products. 10% off. Go click the link. Go to kurtmercadante.life. There's a number of ways you can find the link. Click it. Go shop. 10% off. You're welcome for offering you that deal. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to part two of our interview with Aaron Urban. Again, Aaron and I, we get into some neuroscience. We talk about your emotional state and whether you make better decisions, more creative decisions, whether you're coming from an emotional state of fear or one of love. As a reminder, Aaron is a certified executive and leadership coach with more than a decade in coaching and consulting successful professional transformations for leaders and teams. An international speaker, Aaron has trained, coached, and delivered keynotes as well as workshops to clients across the globe. She's a neuroscience nerd, host of the Career Coffee Chat podcast, and author of the best-selling book, Elevate Your Career, More Impact, More Income. Without further ado, here is part two of my interview with Aaron Urban. One of the things you talk about in the book, in your book, Elevate Your Career, which we'll link to in the show notes, are those habits. Yeah, right over the corner there. The <laughs> habits and you know the 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 thoughts, which or the emotions which fuel the thoughts, which fuel the habits, which fuel the actions, and and maybe even before the emotions, you mentioned the word energy. I'm just I'm I'm just so big in energy and watching the energy flow, and you know we're here in Sedona, I just to feel a different energy, just a just this prosperity. It's like so easy to uh, to unleash it. What are some ways that you recommend obviously all right turn off limit the inputs but from a personal i want to get in a good state a good energy state so my emotions are better which feel better you know thoughts which feel better actions what are some things that you counsel people to do on a regular basis to to get that energy up to to fuel everything from there Every, every individual is different, to be fair, first of all. You know, when we when we coaches say, all you have to do is get up at 4.30 a.m. and do 40 push-ups or whatever, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, that doesn't work for everybody, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But what we want to keep in mind is this. Go slow to go fast. Let me explain. What we tend to do is cram more into our lives and more into our days and more, 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 more. We are consumers. We consume the heck out of everything, including trying to consume our time. We try to shove everything into such a small capsule. You need to free yourself of that, for one thing. And then realize that in order to be at peak performance, the top of your game, top productivity, to honor your zone of genius, which, by the way, is a lot more complex than I want to talk about right now, but giving you the 
highlights of how to stay top of your game. In general, human beings, based on your brain, what we do is all day. You know, we're at it. We're at it all day, all day, all day on the phone. And we're doing the video and and we're talking to people and then we're driving and we're all at the same time or whatever, right? We're doing all things. Stop it. Your brain cannot be task intensive for prolonged periods of time. That is fact. Give yourself what I call brain breaks. Now, I found this out the hard way. I don't want you to have to find this out the hard way. What we need is at least three to four breaks throughout our day. Take your breakfast. Don't try to work at the computer while you're you know, on the phone or do whatever while you're trying to eat. Stop that. Give yourself time. Unplug. And during these three to four breaks a day, unplug. Daydream. Doodle. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Do something habitual. Laundry. I don't care as long as it is not using the task-intensive part of your brain. That's probably not what you were expecting to hear from me, Kurt, but it, it, it it's the most uh, human-based I would have to say universal concept I could come up with. (laughs) It really helps people, um, if you're a human being, to stay at the top of your game. And this is what I do. In the morning, I wake up. When I wake up, I am not a 4.30 a.m. If you are, God bless you. That is not me. And I'm I'm, I'm okay with that. (laughs) I'm not ashamed. Okay, I get up when the sun comes up. I'm not getting up before the sun comes up. If you ask me to do that, I'll be angry with you. (laughs) So that's my energy zone. I get up when the sun comes up. I do uh, about 15 minutes of mindfulness. That time I clear space. I visualize what I want. I set my emotional register. That's what that part of the day is for. I have breakfast. I start my day mid-morning. I take a 15-minute break. I unplug. I go outside. I feed the stinking squirrels. (laughs) 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 Greedy suckers. And I come in. I water the plants. Whatever, right? I'm just doing routine things. Yeah. I continue. Lunch. I take my lunch. I don't try to multitask during my lunch. Take the lunch. That afternoon, I take another break and go outside, see what the squirrels have done to my trees. Whatever, right? I go outside. I enjoy the day or go for a walk. Whatever is your thing, do that. Then at the close of the day, another break. I reflect. What have I accomplished? Which, by the way, is only three significant things per day. I did extensive research on this. Most human beings only complete three significant things per day. Okay, depending on how task-intensive they are. And then I set my most important task for the next day. Mm-hmm. What are my next three things I need to get completed tomorrow so I don't have to wake up with, oh, I have to do this in the morning. I combat it. I realized I was becoming anxious mm-hmm. um, because I would wake up in the morning with that gut twist and, that, and the mind would be flooded immediately with all the things I had to do. There's a lot of things. And it took a lot of work for me to develop another program. Hmm. Yes, it was a program. After you do that a couple times, it becomes automatic. Terrible way to wake up. To wake up in a space of comfort and relaxation, and it just makes all the world a difference in my day. But having that set up for the next day, so I know what to expect for my next day, 
is very helpful. So I'm not having to wake up going, oh, I have all this stuff to do. Yes, you always have things to do. And, and if you are not a person that writes things down, get over it and write things down. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because it, it, I found if it, you, you trick the brain into thinking if you write something down, it's kind of taken care of because I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to be there for the next day. And if I have an idea and I don't write it down, it, it's like rolling around in the back of my head, even if I don't remember it. And it's just something there. And I wake up, you know, I was, I'm prone to wake up and I have for, for years with a little bit of anxiety. And, uh, you know, for, for about a year, I was trying to, um, get up and force myself to do still meditation day after day. I'd wake up with anxiety about doing the still meditation. <laughs> and it was interesting. We got here to Sedona and it, it's light. It starts getting light at like four forty-five, And I don't like you. I don't believe in, I think alarm clocks are hazardous to your health. I mm. wake up with the sun. So I've been waking up at four forty-five, and I'm not like an early riser, but I'm in bed now by like nine, nine 30. Right. And so I'm getting a full thing of sleep and I get up and it's quiet. And what I have found is, and it's interesting, I, I went to uh, my first acupuncturist and he said, Oh, you're wood, the Chinese element wood. And here's what you are. And I, I started reading into it. And he's like, So I'm taking Tai Chi and Qigong now because oh, really? moving meditation is better for wood because I'm, I'm ready to go. Your and energy. I, yeah. You need once I, do, right. I get up in the morning now. I don't do my Tai Chi and Qigong first in the morning. You know what I do is I found that I was doing the, trying to do the meditation da, 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 and then work. I was thinking about the work I get up. And what's very relaxing to me is I do my sales outreach emails and messages. It take while the coffee's brewing. I do it. The energy is dissipated. I'm happy. It's done for the day. And then I go out and do all my meditation. It's, it's interesting for me. And I was always like, no, you can't do that. First thing in the morning, I don't have anxiety anymore. And and, and to your point about the rest of the day, I, I always, I joke around, I call them my mini vacations, take mini vacations throughout the day. So I'll go out for a hike we, and it's like, Hey, my, you know, even Julie's going to the store. Can I come with you? Just to go out, see people, especially yes, now. It's important. Here's the thing, you know, gosh, so many people are like, Oh, I get so much more done. You just grind it out all day. No, actually you don't. Uh, it research is proven. Your productivity goes down. Your creativity goes down. You're not as productive. You make worse decisions. It just doesn't work. My best days are when in the morning, because uh, for me, it's morning bike ride, particularly here in Texas. Otherwise, you're going to melt and die. Okay. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> it's like 100 degrees in the shade. It has to be first thing in the morning. So you go out, I go for a morning bike ride. I have, I work for four or five hours. That's it. Yeah. And I get more done than I would in a regular day sitting in front of the computer all day. Well, it's like people who at the gym, oh, I, I had a three hour workout. No, you had about a 20-minute workout, but you were talking to people, you're walking around, you're on the phone, but it's like, I got a three-hour workout. And so people like to wear busy as a badge, a badge of, honor. of honor. Yes. You know, and it's like, I'd rather have a 20-minute workout, but actually get to, I don't want to spend time at the gym. Like, I want to get in, get out. I don't even go to the gym anymore. I just, I, because I don't like unproductive time driving to the gym and doing those things. I mean, that's me, but 
but yeah, people just stuff their day with a lot of stuff and they say they're working. And you mentioned multi, you know, you didn't say multitasking, but a lot of people, I, one of, some of the biggest, like I, people will jump down my throat. No, I'm a good multitasker. And I tell them, well, there's no such thing as multitasking. No, it's technically impossible. Right? It doesn't work. <laughs> no, it's technically impossible. Your brain cannot do more than one task at a time. It can switch between tasks really fast, but let me tell you what happens if you do that too much. You lose IQ points. And you don't think I'm serious, look it up and research it. Don't just search it. Um, For those people who like to uh, watch a video or try to do an email at the same time, take a phone call, you're doing all that at the same time. It's it's not multitasking. Your brain is doing this. And if you ever like, particularly the computers now, like I have this computer and they've like it's on Zoom and all these other things, it gets hot because it's processing a lot of information. Computers also don't multitask either. <laughs> they switch between tasks really fast. And the faster that they are asked to switch between tasks, the hotter they get. And the more often they have to do that, what happens? Well, the processor starts to degrade over time and the parts start to wear out because it's not supposed to operate at that heat temperature. And I'm not saying our brains are heating up, but it's the same concept. The more often you're asking your brain to do that, switch, 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 you actually lose IQ points. So stop doing that. You're dumber. Multitasking makes you dumber. It does. Literally. <laughs> makes you dumber. So don't do it. <laughs> so before, before we started recording, are you okay on time, by the way? Oh, yeah, I'm good. You're good. We're good. So before we started recording, you were talking about uh, kind of the, the set it and forget it, right? It, mm-hmm. Of have your intention and then put it out there, but don't obsess about it. And I, and I think this, this absolutely ties into fear because I find that when I obsess about a goal or an end result, it's fear. I get terrified, right? It's like when I focus on process on the one step in front of the other and just being consistent about it and then forget about it. But when I have that fear and obsession, it's like, wait, that person didn't return my call. Oh my gosh, they haven't got back to me on my proposal. And then it starts spinning and spinning. I'm never never going to meet my goal, my revenue goal. Like if you're an entrepreneur, I've never revenue. I'm never going to meet my revenue goal because, you know, this person didn't. And then when you start putting that energy into your mindset. Yeah. Yeah, what happens? So, I mean, some of it is very practical, right? My content becomes a little more, uh, you know, uh, uh, Larry Levine calls it commission breath sounding, right? Or my, or my just, you know, but there's something energy based too, right? I think that it's just like I'm big on noticing energy blockages. Hmm. And when things happen, all of a sudden things start flowing toward you and it's it's amazing how does that work if you allow it to things will flow towards you be careful what you ask for though so (laughs) how does it work to oversimplify the research that i've been doing is this first clear your blockages if you have a goal you need to ask yourself, is my internal narrative supporting that goal? Is my articulated narrative supporting that goal? Do I have mindsets and established beliefs that are an antithesis or blocking that goal? That's number one. Because if you have all that clutter going on, you can't even see past all that to get to your goal in the first place. So let's let's address that, number one. You get that out of the way, or at least become conscious of it and develop what I call implementation intentions. So if that rears his ugly head, you have something to smack it down and get rid of it. Then think about your goal and think about how you will feel 
when you accomplish that goal. This is very important because it needs to be a positive emotional register of gratitude, love, thanksgiving, you know, just joy. You need to feel that because if you don't, it's anxiety or fear or any of the other emotions, you'll get whatever it is and you'll feel like crap. So (laughs) it probably won't happen in a good way or you'll be like stressed because I did that to myself once. I visualized all these great things and I didn't pay attention to that nagging anxiety and I got what I wanted, and I was so swamped and so stressed. It was almost miserable. So, yeah, I got the goal, and I, you know, had a lot of repercussions because I didn't manage my emotional register. Very, very important because what you're doing is you're establishing a neural pathway in advance of achieving your goal. Hmm. And what it does, it facilitates all of your actions to support that goal. You'd be amazed the power of all these micro actions we're completely unaware of. Tones of voice, how we comport ourselves, our decision making. Maybe we chose X instead of a Y. I mean, just little tiny things make a huge difference. And our brain, the limbic system, is a massive supercomputer for that little tiny thing. And it remembers everything you've ever done. So if you get a feeling about something, like we call it the gut feeling, because it you know, sort of feels like it comes from, because that part of our system doesn't have capacity for speech, all you get is a gentle nudge, like, hey, that's good or bad, right? Because it's analyzing everything you do against everything you've ever done. Everything you've ever experienced, everything you've ever seen, you probably have no idea, right? But your limbic system records all of it. And it's analyzing all that data based on what you want to do to give you these nudges. So pay attention to that. So you get the right emotional register. You get the goal in mind, right emotional register. And you you really visualize that vividly from a heart-centered approach. And then you set it and forget it. You establish it at at this is, not will be, not, oh gosh, it'll come someday. No, this is, and let it go. Hmm. And take the actions you need to get to the goal without worrying about whether it's going to happen or not, or all these other things that are just mental clutter that get in the way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like a lot of people look at that first part and they either do the first part without the actions and they, mm-hmm. they fall on their face or they look at the first part without looking what you said about the micro actions and your, your energy and emotions, you know, fueling those actions. And they think, well, this is just magic. This is just metaphysical magic. She's it talking seems about that way because it's yeah. so, it's so unconscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Um, uh, it was a couple of years ago when I was feeling down and I was feeling grumpy. And I also realized I'd stopped journaling. Duh. So that was part of it. Yeah. And I wasn't reestablishing the right mindset. I wasn't continuing the habit of the good, the right kind of thinking, the right kind of mindset, the right kind of visual, you know, the whole lot. I wasn't, I wasn't doing my base work. I'd done it up to a point and I was like, hey, it works. I don't have to keep doing it. Anyway. <laughs> We won't obsess about that. So I had let that lapse. And I kind of got into a negative place. I was like, gosh, you know, I need you know, my network and you know, blah, blah, blah. I was mumping around. And finally, I realized, oh, well, pff, duh. So I got back into the routine. I established the right mindset again. And I visualized what I wanted. Kurt, at the end of that week, it was like nine day. Interesting. If you 
you aren't aware that there's so many microactions and there's so much so much going on in our lives that we we don't we're totally unconscious of you would say you would it would appear as if it's magical and mystical and you can argue that some of it might be but i don't have research to back that up okay so i'm not going there sure let's just say that it happens and it works if you want to get into quantum physics, we could talk about that. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a rabbit hole. I, I've been down on the last year, and it's and it's amazing, and and it really is the observed and the observer, and and, and it's fascinating. the The flip side of what you're saying too, though, is is that people don't see that unconscious behavior and the micro actions. Mm-hmm. And so the flip side of that is they think they may think they're down on their luck, that the universe just hates them. Mm. without and that excuses themselves from the accountability for all the little micro actions they took i mean you see that a lot with health, place, right. you know and, and and all those things and it's and it's so they do nothing they do nothing i'm i, I it's just luck it's what's going to happen is going to happen right you know, i grew up in a religious household and it's like well it's in god's hands it's like <laughs> i get it i understand that but and you, <laughs> exactly exactly yeah, and and the and the Lord did give us the tools. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and here's the thing: I'm not saying that life doesn't hand you just a rotten apple, and sometimes that rotten apples, a whole bushel of rotten apples. The point here is how we deal with it is what matters. And what's interesting is I was watching, and I want to get my notes because this this gentleman is profound. He's one of the fathers of positive psychology. Hmm. And I was watching um, a short webinar, which I was I feel very privileged to listen to him speak. And I would have to go back and and find his name, or I would I would be more more forthcoming about who this person was. But I was really amazed. And if you're interested, I'm, I'm certainly glad to to look that up and give that his, this person's name. He's, he's yeah, that would be great. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. He's in the um, fruition of his life. Okay. And just the, the amount of when, – when you hear an expert like that speak, the amount of information they can pack into one sentence is – it's it gives you chills literally so i was scrambling to take notes and that's why i, don't, I didn't write down his name because i was just like oh, i gotta write all this down i gotta write all this down so um he he talks about gosh i forget where i was going with this but um what's interesting is when you when you talk about positive psychology and the power of it um you know, the, the old methodologies were, you know, just try, you know, try to do the best you can with misery, which is, which is not, help, which not helpful at all. So we need to move people, he says, from languishing to flourishing. Hmm. Right. And he said opt- optimistic people. And this is his notes. Um, it says they bounce back more quickly. They resist depression. Um, optimistic people succeed more. They try harder and they give up less. Optimistic people live longer, six to eight years, in fact, on average. Um, and optimistic people are overall generally more fulfilled, happier, and successful, and make more money. Hmm. Research has proven that too. Um, and what's interesting is you can learn how to be optimistic. Hmm. Because pessimists feel that when once something bad happens, it'll last forever. 
Well, you know, there's always it's going to be forever. It's just term terminal. Like my friend, she um, she got sun poisoning, and um, <laughs> she's one of those you know with terminal cancer kind of thing. And she got sun poisoning, and she's like, I'm I'm dying. You know, this is forever. And she yeah, <laughs> she's going to have sun poisoning for the rest of her life. So um, optimist feel that bad situations are temporary. Um, pessimist see bad everywhere. Hmm. The bad happens is everywhere. It's all the time. It happens every time, right? I never get a parking spot, whatever, right? Optimists, however, see things as localized. Oh, I didn't get a parking spot because it's really busy today. Hmm. Um, it's, you know, all ball games going on. I must be why, right? So they give context. Pessimists are helpless in bad events or tend to be more helpless in bad events. Oh, I can't do anything. The world's coming to an end. Optimists look for ways to mitigate or manage. And what's interesting, um, you can learn how to be more positive. It's not permanent. And I'll share with you that that's true because I have a natural proclivity to the negative. Mm. It's DNA. It's in my DNA. It's within my family. It's very prevalent. Women of a certain age, particularly, tend to complain all the time. (laughs) Stop. Yes. Yeah. And I'm doing my best to break that cycle. Right. So if we were to wrap up on any note, I would have to say that, one, give yourself space and grace. Watch your inputs. It matters a lot. And don't forget how powerful you are as a human being, because whether or not you believe in um, certain types of religions, but I think almost all religions have something in common, that we are creators. Mm-hmm. And if you're stripping away all the scientific, which I like to provide as context and backup, you are a creator and a very powerful one. Don't ever forget that. One final piece that I'd like to end on. The squirrels. I want to go back to the squirrels. (laughs) The squirrels. They're little fuzzy butts. They're such a pain. (laughs) So using, using that as a microcosm, that experience that you have, where you have a decision to make about how to deal with this challenge, mm-hmm. one decision you could do is, oh my gosh, those squirrels are going to chew up my mother and you go out and shoot them, which might be a fear-based decision. You chose a heart-based decision, a decision based on love to help the squirrels to solve your challenge, but without killing the squirrels and everyone benefits. Now, that, to me, is a more creative decision than I'm grabbing the gun and I'm killing the squirrels. Right. In that decision, what, and maybe it's everything we've talked about, but as you make that decision, right, there's probably a little bit of you, like, those damn squirrels are going to ruin everything. All right. How do you put yourself in a, you said, heart-centered or a love-centered approach to be able to make a more creative decision that benefits everyone. I'm so glad you asked that because (laughs) I did have to practice what I preach (laughs) big time because I love my trees. I, I, you have to understand I have seven pecan trees that surround our property and I love them dearly. And I, I, and yeah, so it's, they're really tearing the snot out of these trees too badly. I mean, there's strip bark everywhere. It's a mess. So I was very upset and I could have made a fear-based. In fact, I almost did it. I went and grabbed the BB gun. I could feel my heart pounding and, you know, the palm sweaty, petty thing and thing, you know, in your, you know, and I'm like, what am I doing? 
Yeah. What am I doing right now? Am, am I using my frontal lobe? Uh, no. So what can we do about that? Put the gun down. Okay. Let's do some research. What can we do? And how do I get out of that fear-based? Imagine what you want. This is where we fall off the bus every single time. When we are in a situation, we're always focused on what we don't want. Hmm. Oh, I don't want my boss to fire me. Oh, this would be terrible if he fires me. Da, 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 da. Or I don't want the squirrels to eat my trees. It would be terrible if he eat my trees. Da, 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 da. What you do is you create a you know, strength in the neural network that this is going to happen. Hmm. So all your micro actions support that because that's the network you created in your brain. That's where you're putting your energy. So that's what your brain says. Oh, you must want this. Hmm. When in fact, you don't. Oh, and you also want to feel this way when, in fact, you don't. Put your energy where you want, not what you don't want. So what I had to do was visualize how I will feel. And I'm feeling that now because they stopped eating bark on my trees. And <laughs> 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 I'll only rehome two squirrels. We're good so far. Um, how do you, you feel when your goals achieved or how you feel with what do you want what do you want and then feel that hmm. and reinforce that okay interesting we don't want it, it, it's <laughs> like if if you uh you know if you're if you're sick if you're diagnosed with something which a diagnosis can be dangerous right and you start mm-hmm. focusing on i don't want to get sicker i don't want to get sicker i don't want to get sicker fear yeah. you're you're telling yourself you're, you're repeating that word sick, right? Instead of saying, language. I want to be healthy. I want to be healthy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the words we choose, I've been doing um, also studying the conscious language. What words are we choosing and how does it drive our actions? And you would be very surprised. Colloquialisms. Like if it's not one thing, it's another. Mm-hmm. I call my mother saying that a couple weeks back. Stop saying that, mom. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that way. You're yeah. setting yourself up for failure. So now your brain is going to obsess if something else happens. We'll see. Oh, by the way, your brain will look for proof. So if you have a mindset or something you're focused on, your brain will look for proof. That's what it does. We're lovely, creative, and and powerful creatures. We don't, however, understand how impactful we are. We don't. Well, on that note, Aaron. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. This was very insightful. I learned a ton. I know our listeners are going to learn a ton as well. Thanks for being on the show. Always. 